Welcome to the AJP Heart and Cirque podcast. I'm Kara Hansel-Keehan. Today we'll discuss a new article by Christina Oliveira et al. titled Carotid Intima Media Thickness and Flow-Mediated Dilation Do Not Predict Acute In-Hospital Outcomes in Hospitalized Patients with COVID-19. This article was published April 22nd, 2022 in AJP Heart and Circulatory Physiology. Joining me today are Associate Editor Dr. Jason Carter, Senior Author Dr. Tiago Pisania, and Content Expert Dr. Paul Fidel. Let's get started. Thanks, Kara. COVID-19 has wrecked havoc around the globe over the last two plus years, and a number of physiological systems have been impacted by SARS-CoV-2. While we are still trying to uncover the extent of this impact, there is irrefutable evidence that cardiovascular system has been one of the systems negatively impacted, particularly in certain vulnerable populations. The current manuscript by Christina Oliveira and colleagues examined whether brachial flow-mediated dilation and carotid intima media thickness measured upon hospital admissions were associated with acute outcomes in patients hospitalized with COVID-19. This included 211 patients in which these key cardiovascular assessments of flow-mediated dilation and carotid intima media thickness were obtained within 72 hours of the hospital admission. Tiago, congratulations on what must have been a Herculean effort to get these measurements within such a short time frame after hospital admission. Can you first comment on how that recruitment went? And second, give our audience a brief summary of the two to three take-home outcomes from this study. Thanks for having me, Jason and Kara. Nice to have this moment to discuss our paper here in this podcast. And I'm also pleased to share this episode with Dr. Paul Fadel. So I guess one of the most important things uh, to start my answer is to give credit for this, as you said, uh, Jason Herculean effort to Michele Cristina Oliveira. So Michele is a postgraduate student at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Sao Paulo, and, and she's the first author of this manuscript. By May of 2020, uh, Michelle came to me and said, well, I I want to get involved with these COVID-19 activities that are being uh, put in place at the clinic's hospital at our university, University of Sao Paulo. So we're talking here about like a big, big hospital, one of the biggest hospitals in Latin America, which had like a a very important role during the COVID-19 pandemic. So when Michelle came to me, we decided to check if it would make sense to implement some of the measurements that we usually do in our lab in the COVID-19 patients admitted to the hospital. So to be a bit more specific, by that point, uh, we already had some initial small studies, some reveals uh, suggesting that the endothelium could be an important target for the SARS uh, coronavirus uh, 2 and that these could correlate with some severe outcomes, either in the respiratory, but also, and most importantly, in the cardiovascular system in these patients. And for this reason, we thought that measuring markers of endothelial function and atherosclerosis in the moments of hospital admission could give us some very important uh, clinical information about these hospitalized patients coming to our hospital. So by the end of June 2020, we were able to start the data collection of this study, which involving, as you said, assessing both the common carotid artery uh, intima media thickness 
and the brachial flow mediated dilation in COVID-19 patients recently admitted to the hospital, most of which were under moderate to severe infection and needing specialized care. And then what we tried to see was if these measures would be associated with the risks of mortality, admission to intensive care unit, requirements of mechanical ventilation or occurrence of thrombotic events. So now to answer your question, Jason, this was indeed a big data collection effort led by Michelle, uh, which I guess is much bigger than everything that we had done before by that point. And we only were able to do that thanks again to the bravery of Michelle, but also to the support of other researchers from our group, uh, clinical researchers, health workforce within the hospital and the direction of the hospital as well. So to make it brief, during the data collection period, which were around June 2022, May 2021, we calculated that Michelle screened more than 600 patients. And at the end, she included the 211 uh, that were included in the paper. So Michelle collected their data at the hospital admission and then followed them up for an average of 12 days. Uh, but then some patients stay much longer. So I, I just checked it here before our recording. And the, the patient that stayed for longer in the hospital stayed for six, seven days. Uh, so during the entire follow-up, Michelle had to run uh, through their medical records. They keep track of everything that was happening with them during the hospitalization, including the major outcomes that we were interested in. And in the end, what we found, and to summarize the take-home message, was... So even though endothelial dysfunction and atherosclerosis seem to participate in the COVID-19 pathophysiology, their correlation with clinical outcomes in hospitalized COVID-19 patients were not too strong. More specifically, in the univariate analysis, we indeed observed some associations between the carotid intima media thickness and risk of mortality and thrombotic events. But then when we adjusted these associations for a number of potential confounding factors, including age, sex, presence of obesity, uh, pre-existing uh, diseases, among others, the associations between our markers of vascular function and the COVID-19 related outcomes were no longer evident, suggesting that at least in our study setup, measures other than the endothelial function markers and, and the atherosclerosis market, uh, markets using in the present study seem to be more important to identify patients at a greater risk for serious acute outcomes upon hospitalization. Thank you, Tiago. Paul, you have experience with flow-mediated dilation and have also jumped into the COVID-19 physiological madness yourself. Can you first start by briefly explaining to our audience what flow-mediated dilation is and why it's important? And then secondly, what really caught your attention regarding the current study? Sure. Thanks, Jason. Flow-mediated dilation, or FMD, is a duplex Doppler ultrasound-based method in which the diameter of an artery, typically the brachial artery, is continuously measured in response to an increase in blood flow created by five minutes of ischemia, which is induced by a supra-systolic cuff inflation. FMD refers to the dilation of the conduit artery when it is exposed to this increase in blood flow. The increase in blood flow creates a shear stimulus on the artery wall, which leads to the release of nitric oxide by endothelial cells 
and ensuing dilation, which is called endothelial-dependent dilation. Thus, FMD provides an index of endothelial function and overall artery health. Notably, previous studies have shown that the FMD response correlates with invasive testing of coronary artery endothelial function, as well as with the severity and extent of cardiovascular disease, which makes it a valuable non-invasive research tool for studying vascular and overall cardiovascular health. To the second part of your question, the current study caught my attention since they were measuring FMD along with carotid intima media thickness in patients being admitted to the hospital for COVID-19 to determine if these measures were associated with acute in-hospital outcomes. Basically, they were determining if FMD could be used as a prognostic tool to determine the severity of complications in these hospitalized patients, asking whether FMD was associated with intensive care unit admission, mechanical ventilation, or death during the hospitalization period. This was an important and logical study since other studies had reported a reduction in FMD in individuals with COVID-19 that appeared related to symptom severity. Thanks, Paul. Tiago, all study designs have their pros and cons. Can you share with us one or two strengths of the study you are particularly pleased with and follow that up with one thing you wish you had more information on or would try to interrogate in future work if you had access to this population again? Yes, Jason. One of our study strengths were to be able to collect a reasonable amount of data in a great number of patients, which makes our study one of the largest in this area, and that included these measurements we mentioned before, namely FMD and the carotid IMT. I guess another strength is the fact that we were able to prospectively follow these patients and track all their clinical data during the period of hospitalization. On the other side, I guess the biggest limitation uh, was, in my opinion, not to have been able to also track these patients' flow-mediated dilation and carotid IMT at multiple moments or at multiple points during the acute hospitalization period and also beyond the acute phase. Because I guess both of these measures, they are expected to change during the infection and beyond. And the magnitude of these changes um, may offer better clinical predictive information than a single snapshot taken at the beginning of the study as we did. By the way, we do have information that patients recovered from the COVID-19 infection still have reduced FMD weeks after the infection beyond the acute phase of the disease, uh, especially those symptomatic ones, as Paul briefly mentioned in his answer, and that was shown by one of his studies at the AJP Heart as well. So uh, I guess there is a process of endothelial dysfunction and perhaps also atherosclerosis that is developed along the course of the disease that should be better tracked and that perhaps may inform us more about the consequences and the long-term outcomes in this disease. Uh, thanks, Tiago. Paul, as we shift to the next phase of COVID-19, whether that be new variants or long-haul issues, what do you think are some of the most pressing cardiovascular questions that need to be considered in the coming months to years? 
Um, I would say we need to continue uh, to understand the impact of COVID-19 on the cardiovascular system and cardiovascular health in general, so we can perhaps better understand the mechanisms underlying the COVID-related cardiovascular complications. A recent study demonstrated that the Omicron variant did not have a negative impact on CV health or cardiovascular health in vaccinated young adults. So that is pretty promising. But given the severity of the previous alpha and delta variants on the cardiovascular system, these studies need to continue. We also need to understand mechanisms driving long COVID. Up to 30% of people who had COVID experienced persistent debilitating complications long after the acute phase of having COVID. And studies in these individuals are important so that we can perhaps find a therapeutic target to minimize the debilitating consequences and long-term effects of long COVID on the cardiovascular system. Yeah, thanks, Paul. That uh, Omicron study was a great great work and also just recently published in AJP Heart and might have to be another podcast in the future. Tiago, same question to you. What do you see as critical cardiovascular gaps on the backside of the pandemic that the scientific community needs to continue to explore? One point that interests me and our group back in Brazil is how we can intervene to improve the endothelial function and other health markers in these patients that were infected by COVID-19 and still have persistent symptoms. So the long COVID ones or the post-COVID-19 syndrome ones. Or um, as we as said before, uh, to take these patients that have evidence of endothelial dysfunction after the COVID-19 and to intervene with that, uh, to intervene with a physical training, exercise training, uh, nutrition, and to see if we are able to recover their pre-COVID-19 endothelial function. So, uh, as I said, we believe that exercise training, uh, given all the evidence around uh, the improvements in endothelial function promoted by exercise training in the general population and also in some specific groups, we believe that this may have also a significant role in improving this patient's endothelial function which may prevent uh, future complications. So I guess the idea is to try also to track these patients and look for future uh, complications and what would be the role of physical activity and exercise training. Uh, we are about to finish that analysis of a study that we conducted at the University of Sao Paulo with children recovered from COVID-19, which we were able to run an intervention of exercise training and measure FMD. We believe we may have some interesting data there uh, that have not yet been uh, explored. And in addition to this, personally, I think we also need to take a better look at the microcirculation. Uh, in addition to the macrocirculation, which was the focus of our study and many others, I guess the microcirculation may be more sensitive to some of the vascular impairment promoted by the COVID-19 infection, and also be more responsive to exercise training and other interventions. Thanks, Tiago. I'm going to be really interested to see that exercise data in the children at some point. Here's a question for both of you. The data around COVID-19 are pretty clear in that not all individuals are impacted the same way. Indeed, there are several vulnerable populations that appear to be more at risk. Factors such as age, race, comorbidities, and other factors all play into the equation. 
So a question for both of you, and we'll start with you, Tiago, and then Paul can respond. What does the current study add to this topic of COVID-19 and vulnerable populations, and or what might be the natural next steps to this research? Uh, yes, uh, Jason, as I guess I briefly uh, touched earlier, when we adjusted our correlations for potential uh, confounding factors, we did not observe associations between our markers and the COVID-19 related outcomes, which means that uh, perhaps some of these confounding factors, they are very important to moderate these associations between the COVID-19 and the COVID-19 outcomes. And um, when we go uh, a bit deep and we have a deeper look to these other factors, what we found was that some specific factors such as having some pre-existing conditions such as cardiometabolic and pulmonary conditions, such as diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, uh, seem to strongly associate with the study outcomes. And in addition to that, older adults, they have worse outcomes as well. So it may be actually that in some specific supergroups, uh, the FMD and the IMT may offer relevant independent pre predictive information in regard to the COVID-19 outcomes, which uh, could be approached, I guess, in larger cohorts, uh, larger than the present study cohorts. So I guess uh, perhaps one thing that we should do is to try to joint efforts. We have like at this point some uh, studies that were run like in single centers and perhaps we try to join them for to try to combine some of these data sets and look for these moderators with more powerful statistical analysis. And in addition to that, and speaking about vulnerable populations, we also uh, had a study published at the physiological reports, uh, so the sister journal of the AGP heart, uh, showing evidence of endothelial dysfunction in children uh, with multi-system inflammatory syndrome after the infection with the COVID-19. So again, uh, in children, children must be a vulnerable population to the infection of COVID-19 and to the consequences to the cardiovascular system as well. Indeed, as Tiago is alluding to, these studies are challenging and complicated. I would say that although the current study indicates that FMD and carotid intima media thickness were not useful in predicting major outcomes of patients hospitalized with COVID-19, these results do not rule out a role for the reduced FMD and impaired endothelial function in mediating the negative effects of COVID on cardiovascular health. As with most research, it's more complicated. An example of this is that in the current study, many of these patients had comorbidities such as hypertension, diabetes, obesity, and chronic kidney disease, all of which may also impact FMD independent of COVID-19. Although the authors did the best they could and accounted for this statistically in the current study, this could still be a factor. It again is just part of the difficulties and complexities of performing these patient-based studies, but certainly the information from this study has added to our understanding of COVID-19. Do either of you want to add anything else? Tiago, I'll start with you. Yes, I guess um, I have one thing on a personal level. I feel now a bit relieved that since our data collection 
the pandemic has improved and we are now in a much better position than we were one or two years ago. Uh, we had back in Brazil some struggles with the pandemic and it did not help that our government there did not follow the most solid evidence to prevent and treat COVID-19. But I guess in the positive side, what we observed, especially in our hospital in Sao Paulo, was that all the health workers were very prepared and engaged to their best and, and to save lives. And, and most of the times under extreme stress and, and, and large working hours, but they, they never gave up. And I would like to take to have the advantage of this podcast to recognize and to thank these workers. I'm also of the opinion that the entire scientific community in Brazil and also in the world responded really well to all these challenges imposed by the pandemic. And going forward, I'm sure that the clinical workers will continue to work with the scientists in order to provide the best options for those who are still being infected with the COVID-19 and for those who present these persistent symptoms. Thanks, Tiago. Paul, anything else? Yes, uh, I would just uh, like to say I appreciate the opportunity to participate in this podcast and would end by acknowledging the research efforts of Tiago and his colleagues successfully performing studies in a hospital setting, in patient populations, and asking a very important clinical question. Job well done. Well, on behalf of HAP Heart and Cirque and the entire scientific community, that will ultimately benefit from this data. I too want to congratulate you, Tiago, and your team on a great study. Studying such a challenging population within 72 hours of hospitalization is no small feat. And Paul, thank you for being part of this podcast as well and for sharing your insights. Kara, back to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AJP Heart and Cirque podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by Ray Mitchell. Catch the latest episodes of our podcast at physiology.org slash journal slash AJP Heart.